open your Bibles uh, to the book of Psalms. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be Psalm 13. And if you are using one of uh, the Blue Pew Bibles, uh, you will find Psalm 13 on page 453. Psalm 13. This is actually the last psalm that we will be studying this summer as we will be returning to our study in the Gospel of Luke next uh, Sunday. And if you think back over the psalms that we have studied this, uh, this quarter, uh, you will probably agree that the recurring theme of those psalms has been lament. Again and again and again, we have heard David cry out to God from the midst of his suffering, crying out for, for relief, crying out for deliverance. And Psalm 13 will be no different. This again is a psalm of lament. In fact, if anything, Psalm 13 turns up the intensity. For now, David's pain is caused not only by the persecution that he is facing, not only by the, the trials that he is uh, undergoing, but, but now he is pained by the fact that God doesn't seem to care. He, he is pained by the Lord's apparent absence from his life. From David's perspective, it seems that the Lord has forgotten him. Four times in the first two verses, he he cries out, How long, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? I suspect that you've been there at some point in your life. We've all been at that place where our pain, where our suffering was multiplied and and even compounded because from our perspective, God seemed unmoved. He seemed not to care. He he seemed to have forgotten us. He seemed to be doing nothing whatsoever to to bring us relief or to, to bring us through the trial. I suspect some of you may even be there this morning. You are in the midst of a long trial. You have been suffering for a long time. And with David, you cry out, how long? I want us to look at this psalm this morning because I believe it shows us how we are to pray and even how we are to sing from the depths of such woe. So let us pray now before we read even the psalm and let us ask God to open our eyes to what it has to teach us here this morning. Let us pray together. Father God, this is Your Word. It is Your Spirit who inspired David to compose this song. Not only that he would be able to express his own pain, but that he might teach Your people how to express and how to process and how to to deal with the pain that, that we all experience as we walk in this present evil age. And so, Father, we do ask that you would now be with us as your word is read and preached, and that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive your word, to be nourished and changed by it, for our minds to be renewed and our lives to be transformed. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Read it with me. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. The Word of the Lord. How long? It's the question that that David asks four times in the first two verses. And I wonder, when in your life have you found yourself asking this question? When have you found yourself crying out to God, how long? Maybe it's not just to God that we ask this question. I know for, for my kids, a, a trip to the beach is enough to get them asking, how long? How long until we get there? But of course, it's not only children who ask the question we all do when we're, when we're dealing with an extended illness. When the the sickness drags on day after day, week after week, month after month, and even year after year, we begin to ask, how long? Or when we're the one who is is caring for the one who is sick, or we're we're caring for the one who is simply growing older, and and the the day after day after day responsibilities begin to wear on us, begin to, to weigh us down, we wonder, how long, oh God, how long will this trial continue? Or maybe it's an ongoing marital issue or, or relationship struggle that, that has just plagued you for longer than you can remember. Maybe it's simply a long series of unfortunate events, as one book series is titled. One failure after another in your life. You, you, you experience failure here, then you experience failure here, and you wonder, will I ever get past this? Will I ever have the life that I dreamed of? Maybe it's your seemingly endless battle with the, with the besetting sin, a sin that seems to get the better of you again and again and again, and you wonder, will I ever defeat this? Will I, will I ever be past it? I think we've all been there for one reason or another. We've all been in that place where we are crying out to God, Lord, how long, how long will this go on? How long will I feel this pain? But what I want you to see is that, is that David is there, but he's even farther down the road than just asking how long. He's, he's even farther into the wishes because he's, he's not simply asking how long his pain will continue. Notice that. He's asking how long the Lord will forget him. It's not just that he's been suffering a long time, but for David, his suffering has become proof of God's neglect. From, from David's perspective, his, his suffering is, is evidence that God has forsaken him. Rather than turning to him his face of favor as, as God had, had promised to do, he feels that God is hiding from that. He is hiding his face. This is what it seems like to David. And this neglect, this, this being forsaken, this, this being forgotten, it has multiplied and compounded his pain because it's one thing to suffer. But it is another thing altogether to be abandoned in the midst of your suffering. Several years ago, I heard the story of a, a man. He wasn't in my church, but he was in a church of a, of a pastor I knew. And his wife had been diagnosed with breast cancer. 
But rather than loving her well, and rather than, than standing with her through the trial, he divorced her. He walked away from his wife and from his family saying that he did not have, deserve to have his life ruined by her bad luck. We can't imagine. We're dumbfounded. We, we can't imagine anyone doing that. We can't imagine the way that that must have multiplied that wife's pain. Not only to, to suffer, but to be abandoned in the midst of her suffering. That's what David is feeling. That is where where David finds himself as he composes this psalm. He feels that he has been abandoned by God. Now, let me be careful. I didn't say that's what he's experiencing. I said it's what he's feeling. We'll we'll see as we work our way through this psalm that, that David has not truly been abandoned. That what he is feeling is a misinterpretation of, of God's posture towards him. But nevertheless, it's what he's feeling. He feels abandoned. He, he feels forsaken. He feels forgotten. And therefore his pain is, is multiplied. His suffering is, is all the more intense. And it is from the midst of that suffering, that that suffering of of feeling abandoned, that David writes. And I think that's why this psalm is so important for us. This this psalm is so instructive to us because it, it teaches us how we are to respond when we feel forsaken, when we feel forgotten. This song teaches us how to sing, and it does it in three stanzas. You'll notice the outline. And in, in, in verses 1 and 2, we have the, the first stanza where David expresses his, his pain. Then in the, the second stanza, verses 3 and 4, David expresses his, his prayer. And then finally, in the, the third stanza, I would say that David expresses his confidence, but that doesn't alliterate. So we have to say that David expresses his, his praise. That's what one of the commentators said, that, that this is a pain, prayer, praise. And it is that sequence that allows David to to properly understand and process and work his way through the trial. And we'll see at the end that that the suffering's not over, even when we get to the end of the song. But David has a new perspective. And that's where I want us to end up this morning. I want us to gain perspective on our suffering so that we can rejoice even as we grieve. So that we can know the peace of our living hope even as we groan in this present evil age. So let's begin with David's pain. We, we see it expressed there in, in verses 1 and 2. Four times David asks, How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and, and have my heart filled with sorrow? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is, is David's question. He is, he is wondering if, if God will ever remember him again. He's wondering if he has been forgotten forever. And and not only does he feel forgotten, but he he feels that that God is intentionally hiding his face from him. And and we we see the significance of that when we remember the blessing that we we hear so often here at Trinity. It's the the blessing that we use almost every Sunday morning. It's the, the blessing that God had given to his people and given to his priests and said, this is the blessing that you are pronounced on my people. Lord, you are to be, you're to bless them. We, we find it in Numbers chapter 6. Actually, just turn there with me so you can see it. 
We use this blessing all the time, but we don't actually see it on the, on the page very often. So just turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. If you come on Wednesday nights, we might get to this this year. All right? Uh, but, but Numbers chapter 6, beginning... Numbers chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. Notice, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people. So you you hear what's going on here. God is speaking to Moses, and and through Moses, he is saying, You go tell Aaron that this is the blessing. That's why it's called the Aaronic blessing. This is the blessing that God gives to Aaron. And, of course, it's Aaron's family who become the priests. So this is the blessing that is put into the mouths of the priests for the people of God. He says, This is the blessing that you are to pronounce. This is the blessing that you are to say over. Over them. And just as an aside, that's what a benediction is. It is a blessing. The, the benediction is not the closing prayer of the service. It is the, the blessing that God pronounces on us as we leave. That's why many of us raise our hands to receive that blessing at the end of the service. Because throughout the Old Testament, that was the, the posture that the people of God often took. No requirement. You don't have to raise your hands. But in the Old Testament, many times the people of God would raise their hands to receive the blessing that was being pronounced on them. And this is the blessing. Lord, bless you and keep you protect you but more than that lord make his the lord make his face to shine upon you there it is the lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance now the niv the the version of this that i grew up with 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 my dad pronouncing this blessing was was in the niv and it's that he would say turn to you his face of favor because we don't have that word countenance. We don't use that word countenance very often. But it's, it is God, turn your face. Cause your face to, to shine upon your people. Pour out your grace and your peace upon them. That is the blessing. That his face would shine upon his people. And that's exactly what David says he is missing. Rather than causing his face to shine upon them, God, David feels that God is, is hiding his face. Turn back to, to Psalm 13. He says it there, he says, how long will you hide your face from me? In other words, how long will you withhold your favor? How long will you withhold your blessing? Because that's what David thinks is going on. He, he feels that God has, has abandoned him and he doesn't understand it. And so he asks in verse 2, how long must I take counsel in my Soul. And again, this is, this is one of those places where, where commentators debate. What exactly is David talking about? What is this taking counsel in your soul? But if you read all of the surrounding context, you, you begin to recognize that David is simply trying to make sense of his pain. He's trying to, to make sense of his suffering. He's basically asking God, how long will I be plagued by this question? How long will I be left wondering whether you have forgotten me? How long will, will, I, will I be forced to, to feel that, that you have abandoned me? Notice he says, how long will my heart be filled with sorrow all day long? This is what David is asking. He's saying, how long will I, will I be forced to, to, to feel this? How long will I be forced to, to wrestle with this question? How long will I be plagued by these doubts? How long will I lack assurance? How long will I be left wondering if you have forgotten me forever? That's what David is asking. Now, the end of of verse 2 gives us some clue as to the nature of David's original distress. Notice what he says. He's he's talking about David's enemies having the upper hand. He, He says, how long will my enemies be exalted over me? That's where this all started. 
David was in a position where his, his enemies were exalted, where his, his enemies were getting the, the better. And we don't know the details. We don't know exactly what situation David is referring to. It, it's possible that he's talking to the, about the situation between his anointing as king, uh, being called in from his father's field and being told that he's going to be the king, and then the long history that takes place before he's actually enthroned in Israel. We, we have the anointing in the, the, the middle of 1 Samuel. He doesn't actually get to the throne until sometime into 2 Samuel. I mean, this is a, this is a long time. And, and he's been anointed and God's promised him things and yet he's suffering. He's, we find him at times hiding in caves. We find him at other times uh, as, a, as a general in the enemy's army just so that he can protect his own life from the king who ought to be for him who is seeking his life. We don't know the, the, the situation. Maybe it comes near, near the end of his life when his own son is, has, has driven him from his royal town. We don't know the situation. And I think that's important because it allows us to, to not try to find parallels with David's exact scenario, but to recognize that we have enemies. We have enemies. And there are times in our own lives when, when those enemies have the upper hand. Maybe it's a, a literal foe who, who is seeking our harm. Maybe it's a, a disease that is ravaging our body. Maybe it is a sin, as I said, that is entangling us and, and keeping us from running well the race. Maybe it's simply a hard providence, a, a hard circumstance that God has called us to endure for a time. But we all have those situations where the enemy gains the upper hand just for a moment. But it hasn't been just a moment for David. And it isn't always just a moment for us. Sometimes the enemy seems to be exalted forever. There seems to be no end to the enemy's success. And it's not long before our greatest concern is not that the enemy is winning, but that God is doing nothing about it. That's where David finds himself. It started with the enemy being exalted, but now it it ends... With, with David wondering if God has forsaken him. And again, I say, I, I trust you've been, you've been there. You've, you've been in a, in a situation like that. Some of you may even be there this morning. If that is where you are, then there are at least three things that we need to see here in David's expression of pain. And the first thing that we need to see here in this first stanza is simply this. We need to see that extended suffering is ordinary. It's not extraordinary. To use Peter's phrase, it's it's not something strange that is happening to us. It is ordinary. It is commonplace. It It is what... We all experience what would be extraordinary, what would be unique, is if we did not experience this type of extended suffering. And so we need to, we need to see this because we are tempted to think that, that if, if, if we are experiencing this, then somehow we must be outside the center of God's will. I, I hear that language all the time. And it's one of my sort of pet peeves as a pastor because it makes me cringe. Because I know the damage that it does to God's people. We think that God has this sort of plan for us. And if we just can figure out the footsteps, if we can just figure out exactly what we're supposed to do, then things will go well for us. And if things aren't going well, it's because somehow we misread God's providence, we misread some sign, or or we got off track here. Not so. 
You can be right in the center of God's will, even if that was a legitimate way to talk about God's will, which we can have that conversation later. But, but you can be right in the, the center of God's will, and you can be suffering. Think of Joseph. <laughs> Think of Joseph. We, we like to go and read between the lines to find some sin in Joseph's life because he is annoyingly holy. There's just, there's just not a lot about him, you know. And, and these other these other saints in the Old Testament, man, it's just right there. It's it's everywhere. You see their sin, but but Joseph, you know, maybe he was a little cocky. I don't know, you know. But but for the most part, he's 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 walking in the way that he should go, and he ends up sold into slavery. He ends up in jail. He 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 he, he suffers again and again. A long series of unfortunate events. Think of John the Baptist. Called by God to be a prophet, preaching the word as faithfully as he can, even being willing to take a stand against those with power. And he's thrown in jail and he's left there to languish and eventually he has his head cut off. He was right in the center of God's will and that's what happened. Think of Jesus. Jesus himself, without sin, perfectly following his Father's will. And he's led to the cross that he might die. Again and again, we see throughout the Scriptures that, that suffering is ordinary. Not just suffering, but extended suffering. Long periods of suffering. It is ordinary. But here's the second thing you need to see. That while suffering is ordinary, it is not normal. It is not the norm It is not the way things are supposed to be. Yes, it happens all the time, but there's nothing about this world that is normal. Everything about this world is broken. Everything about this world is polluted. Everything about this world is twisted out of shape. And so the suffering that we experience, while it is ordinary, while it is commonplace, it is not normal. And it is right to cry out against it. It is right to cry out and say, things ought not to be this way. This is evil. I should not be experiencing this. This is not the way that it is supposed to be. Yes, it is ordinary, but it is not normal. And therefore, we groan. We are not Stoics who just take it and say, well, you know, whatever is, is. That is not the Christian perspective. We say what is, is sinful. And ought not to be. And one day our God is going to do something about it. This is why God comes to wipe away the tears. This is why God comes to to bear our diseases. This is why God comes to put things right. Because they are not supposed to be the way they are now. And so in David's expression of his pain, we see that it is ordinary, but we see that it is not normal And therefore, we see that it is right to express our pain. Our pain must be expressed, and it must be expressed to God. If you are suffering this morning, if you have been suffering for a long time, and if you have begun to wonder if God has forgotten you, cry out to Him. Bring your cares and your concerns and your pain to Him. He is your only hope. Do not hide from Him. Do not flee from Him. Do not think that He doesn't want to hear it. Do not think that you have to get your act together so that He will stop doing whatever He's doing and start doing something else. Bring your cares and your concerns to Him. It's what David does. 
David is, has, has lost his assurance of God's love. And so what does he do? He cries out to God. He cries out to the Lord. And he says, Lord, help me. It reminds me of the Father who says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I am struggling here. I am struggling here. I can't, I can't hardly believe that you remember me. I can't hardly believe that you love me in the midst of this pain. Please, as he says in verse 3, consider an answer. And of course, that's our next point. That not only must we express our pain, but eventually we must also voice our prayers. I want you to hear me say that, that you may not be able to do that immediately. You may live in the first stanza for a while. You may be only able to express your pain. And if you are walking with someone who is suffering, you need to recognize that. You don't need to to push them too quickly. You need to allow them to suffer. You need to allow them simply to express what it is that they are feeling. You don't need to get them to the conclusion too quickly because you can't. If they are hurting, let them hurt. Let them voice what they are feeling. But eventually, we have to move into stanza two. Eventually, we have to give voice to our prayers. And I want you to specifically notice what it is that David prays for. Of course, he's asking for God to help. He says, consider and answer me, O God. But, but what is it that he is asking God to do? What is it that he is, he's asking God to, to do on his behalf? Well, notice what he says. What he wants God to do is to light up his eyes. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Light up my eyes. It's a strange expression. It's not an expression we, we use exactly, but we have close equivalents. We know what he's talking about. Remember Jonathan, when he, when he found the honey and he ate the honey as he was out serving his father, and he says that the honey restored the light in my eyes. It lit up my eyes. It, it gave me joy again. It, it reminded me of the, the goodness of God. It restored my peace. This is what David is, is asking God to do. Now, now, hear me. It's not wrong to pray that God would change your circumstances. It's not wrong that, to pray that God would, would get you out of the trouble that you're in or where He would remove the thorn from your side. It, it is not wrong to pray that way. We see David pray that way throughout the Psalms. We, we see Paul pray that way in the, the New Testament. We even see Jesus pray that way when he says, If possible, Father, take this cup from me. It's not wrong to pray that God would would address the the reality of your circumstances. But David doesn't pray that here because he understands that he has a deeper need. He has a a deeper concern. Yes, this all started with the, the suffering of his circumstances, but it has now infected his heart. He has begun to doubt the assurance of God's love. And what he needs more than a change in his circumstances is he needs his heart to be revived. He needs the joy of his salvation to be returned. He needs his confidence in God's love to be restored. And that is what David prays for. And it's important that we learn to pray the same way. Yes, pray for God to address your circumstances, but pray for God to work in your heart. Pray for God to open your eyes to the truth. Pray for him to restore to you joy. The joy of his salvation. Ask God to incline your heart towards Him. Because the reality is, when we feel forsaken, a change in our circumstances is not all that we need. We need a change in our perspective. 
We need God to to open our eyes yet again to the reality of who He is, and particularly who He is for us. We need to learn to pray that God would open our eyes to the wonders of these truths. Do you pray that way, or do you feel like that's your job? I think sometimes we think, well, I've got to work up my faith. I've got to work up my joy. I've got to really start to love this gospel because that's what faith is and that's my side of the deal. And then if I can start doing that, then God will bless me. And maybe he's not blessing me because I don't delight in his gospel enough. I've been there. I've I've been on that treadmill. It doesn't work. It doesn't lead anywhere. If you are struggling with the assurance of God's love, if you are struggling to to see and to to feel the, the wonders of His salvation, if you are struggling to hear the good news of the gospel, pray for God to give you ears. Pray for God to open your eyes. Pray for Him to be at work in your own heart. Incline my heart towards you, O God. Open my eyes to see. Give me ears to hear the wonder of your gospel. Because I can't see it right now. This is the way that we must learn to pray. And of course, even as we pray this way, we are reminded that we are bringing our prayers before one who has promised to hear them. And so even the act of prayer, even the the act of of praying, God uses to begin to to change our heart. And we see this change take place in David as the psalm progresses into the third stanza. Because notice what David does in the third stanza. We've called it David's praise. It is David's expression of of, of confidence. He says, I have trusted in your hesed. You've probably heard that word before. If you know one uh, Hebrew word, that's probably the one you know. Hesed, it it means God's steadfast love, his, His covenant faithfulness. It is God's steadfast, unchanging uh, uh, Refusal not to do, uh, not to fail to do all that he has promised to do. God will keep his promises. It is his steadfast love for his people. God is faithful. And this is what David remembers. He says, I have trusted your steadfast love. I have trusted your, your covenant faithfulness. And notice, therefore, he says, my heart will rejoice. My heart will rejoice. Now it's tough to know exactly what to do with the tenses there, but, but strictly speaking, David doesn't say that his joy is already back. He doesn't say that he's already rejoicing. He says, because I have trusted in the steadfast love of the Lord, I know that I will rejoice again. I know that, that this malaise will not last forever. I know that I will be brought through the darkness. I know that I will again see the light. I know that my song will return. Because I know the one who has called me is faithful. He will surely do it. In fact, he knows more than this. He knows not only that that God will restore to him his song, but, but notice, he knows that God has, up to this point, been dealing with him bountifully. Notice, he's not saying that God will deal with me bountifully again, but he says, I know that God has dealt bountifully with me. I know that I've been misreading it. I know that I've been misinterpreting my circumstances. I know that my feelings have not corresponded to reality, that God has not forsaken me, that God has not forgotten me, but that he has been dealing bountifully with me. You see, we sometimes forget, and then we remember. 
We, we forget to love our lives well. We, we, we forget to, to uh, love our, our children well. We, we forget to be good friends. And then the Holy Spirit or, or another friend, someone challenges us, someone reminds us, someone points our sin out to us, and we repent and we turn from it and we remember again. That's us. We do that. We forget and then we remember. Not so God. It's not that God has forgotten, but now He's going to remember again. He never forgot. We couldn't always see it. We didn't always understand what He was doing. He is beyond our comprehension, but through it all, whatever trials He has brought you through, whatever you have suffered, no matter how long it has lasted, He has been dealing bountifully with you. And I do not pretend to be able to offer you an explanation. I do not pretend to be able to tell you how your suffering has has served some good purpose. You and I may never know, but we know God has promised it. We can't always see it. We can't always figure it out. But by faith, we say with David, He has dealt bountifully. Not just fairly. Not just justly. Not just good enough. But He has dealt bountifully with me up to this point. And I know that He will do it again. How can we say such a thing? How can we, how can we believe such a thing? It's hard. It's hard when we focus on our circumstances, and it's why the author of Hebrews says, set your eyes on Christ. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. Set your eyes on Him, because in Him you see the love of God manifest in ways that are beyond mistake, in ways that are beyond doubt. In ways that that cannot be confused. In Christ, on the cross, we see the one who was forsaken for us. The one who cried out to God and was told no. The one who who laid down his life, who, who was crucified for us. But not finally forsaken. Because the Father raised him up. The Father seated Him at at His right hand. The Father put all things in submission under His feet. And the Father promises that one day the good work that He has begun through His Son, Jesus Christ, will be brought to completion. Because God has done that through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has has walked this road of of, of pain and and prayer and, and praise for us. We can now walk it in His wake. We can now... Express our pain honestly. We can now bring our our prayers confidently. And we can now praise Him with the living hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because God puts such songs in our mouth, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in Your goodness. Father, we acknowledge that far too often we find ourselves crying out with David, how long? What's going on? We don't understand. Have you forgotten us? I pray, Father, that you would teach us with David to sing this song of pain and of prayer and of praise. That we might again know the full joys of our salvation. That our eyes might be lit up with the wonders of your face. This is what we ask for, and we ask for it boldly in Jesus' name, and for His name's sake. Amen.